Welcome to SideQuests, your high-octane distraction from those other podcasts. We're a pen and paper RPG audio show featuring chatter about rules and how to master them, epic world building, player investment, and interviews with the people who make the games you love. Listen in as we trade tabletop war stories, make judgment calls on odd situations, and do everything we can to give you more RPG resources than you could dream of, all from a simple side quest. I am Eli, one of your paladins of podcasting, and I'm joined with... Hey, it's uh, Rob, and I screwed up my hand today with the bungee cord. It snapped, and I've got a goose egg the size of a softball. That's not an exaggeration. It's horrifying. You guys it's, it's, it's gnarly. We're on video and we're watching it. I'm Craig. I am also a paladin of podcast, and I'm happy to be here and uninjured. Sorry, Rob. You know, Isn't a goose egg out. already a measurement well, size? Well, there's the euphemistic goose egg, and then there's the, I, actually, oh my god, go to the hospital. I, I think this is somewhere between the two. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Craig, you got great, interesting news, and it's something that we really want to talk about. I'm going to let you kind of introduce it. I know how you said you're going to do it, and I'm excited for this. <laughs> uh, the cool news is that I'm doing some um, some paid work on a, on a Kickstarter. Somebody uh, was looking for some writing and design help, and I was happy to step in. Um, Details pending on what I can share, but I can certainly talk about the process. It seems today we might talk a bit about the actual process of writing content when it's it's not necessarily just for your table. How one goes about that, what's involved. I think that, uh, Eli, you've got some experience as well. What's what's your deal in this regard? I am I'm, I'm decently new to it as well. Um, I, I, I kind of just started within this last year making making content uh for for hackmaster um and and helping out with content um but i have done a lot on also helping out build out resources like working on roll 20 to make things that are um, like making resources developing character sheets uh, i've started the the work that i've done so far has been working on spell details that's what I've been working a lot on recently. How? Oh, go on. Which are fascinating and so um, fun. So it's fun to work. So are you coming up with the spell details yourself, or are they um, handing you the details and you're trying to figure out how to integrate them into something? What's the, what's the process? What's the pipeline for from idea to something that players you've never met are going to see, as you understand it? It's it's a little bit of both. Um, so I'll, I was given like a, a decent amount, basically for for Hackmaster. Every cleric, uh, every cleric has their own spell list, almost completely with with a with a sizable amount of spells that are unique to them. Um, and this cleric class is the the cleric of or the clerics of the Mother of Elements. So there's a four di four different clerics essentially with spells tailored towards each of the elements and. A lot of them, or there's a decent a decent amount of them that were kind of fleshed out or somewhat like, oh, here's a spell name, or here's some spell directions. And I was asked to help like, fill out and expand upon those ideas. But I was also given the spell lists themselves, like, oh, this level, this spell at this level, and, and so forth. Um, and there were also some gaps there that I was asked to, to help fill. So, or at least say, pitch ideas about. When you, when you say kind of help fill out, um, as you explain it, my biggest question comes into mind. You said sometimes you get something like a spell name. Uh, for instance, they say, hey, we have a spell, we're gonna call it envelop. And then you would kind of fill in the details on what envelop does, means, etc. Exactly, like how many seconds it takes to cast. Do you need a divine icon? Do you need spell components and then write out the description of what the spell spell does and um for for this stage it's also doing a decent amount of research too mm -hmm. like oh this spell should probably function similar to some other cold base spells that we have or oh maybe this should interact with the flammability rules and then i kind of like kind of like doing analysis where you put together a report so like i've got a brief description you know, I've got sources and oh here's where 
this is inspired from. Here's some tweaks. And then at, at this stage, it's also I'm also suggesting alternate options. So like, oh, here's one direction, but here are several other directions that could bear fruit, or oh, if this is if this is too powerful or not powerful enough, here's some other ways that it could be expanded, um, or ways like and I also try to add ways in which the interactions might be beneficial. Like here is the choice I made here. Like it, this is very useful for these spells or this counteracts. Can you give us a specific example? Are you allowed to share that? Or a hypothetical example that's similar to what you've done? Yeah, yeah. One of the spells is um, fresh air. Um, so it's the kind of does what you what it sounds like is it the goal is to clear like if someone casts fog or um a, a spell that causes a bunch of smoke or there's a lot of fire spells which are causing a lot of smoke that are also in this book and so you kind of want a way that the players can can deal with those threats if another person uses it so um for the for the purposes of putting this all together it sounds like you get your context from existing spells and as that is a kind of guideline, you put together the additional details. A, a lot of people think about, um, and Rob, you mentioned this before we start recording, a lot, a lot of people think like, you know, I, I could write this stuff, like I'd love to do it. Um, is it really meaningfully different from how you would put content together before someone was like, hey, we'd like to pay you to do it? Like, it sounds like the thought process is, is pretty simple. Are there any different elements or outlying things that you have to do for a, a professional product versus your, your private work? I don't think so. And I, I think that's actually the, f the first step in trying to create professional work, I think, is just raising the quality of your own work and starting to uh, record it in a way that's easy to edit, change, and share with others. Um, I, I do keep like three-wing binders and like notebooks where I write notes for sessions, but I've also started trying to transcribe them into like a Google Drive, so that my notes are in somewhere where if I lose my notebook or if I'm trying to share it with someone else, it's accessible. Um, same with my adventures. I try to, I write them, and then I also try to put them in a way that's formatted so someone else could try to run the same adventure I just wrote. I know right. that people have talked about using uh, OneNote to take notes for their game. Um, there's a lot of note-taking software. Right now, I've actually started using something called Obsidian. Um, I think some people have heard of this before. I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of it. Um, yep. It's worth checking out. Uh, it's definitely got uh, a free interface. I'm trying to pull mine up now here to look at it. Um, but it uses uh, Markdown um, to record <laughs> stuff, and you can internally link things like a wiki that lives um, on your device. Um, so I'm trying to take as many notes as I can there to make it easy to reference my other stuff. It seems like it would be um, useful for the sort of thing you're talking about. I think it would be. Uh, you are you. You said you just started potentially, or well, doing stuff for a Kickstarter. Are you allowed to share what the what that Kickstarter um, is? The author has announced that there will be some new writers going onto it, but um, we just finished doing some negotiations to to iron out the details yesterday. So until he posts on that, I'm not going to name it, but I, I would very much like to. Um, I am writing. I'm writing a dungeon next episode. Um, maybe I have been asked to write uh, write a dungeon. So uh, the dream, all of our dreams since we were uh, little ones, has been to get paid to think about wizards, and I seem to have uh, done that. Um, so bless everyone involved in that process. Um, but yeah, uh, I was given the prompt. I was given the the, the background for what's up, and there, the, the the man said, "Go for it." So over the next five weeks, I'm going to be putting together. About 20 to 30 keyed rooms for a wizard tower, um, which is really exciting and also intimidating. It's it's a huge chunk of content that's going to be it's going to go out into the world in a way. Like I've published um, blog posts before of mechanics and and lore and stuff, um, but it's exciting to hold myself to a really high standard of you know this is going to be in a print book. You know it's going to have my name on it. Like let's do a great job here because it's it's not just you know my work, my reputation, but also the gentleman who saw fit to, uh, to to have me join the project. Um, so I, I'm excited. I'm good, good nervous about it. Yeah. I, I like hearing that. And 
uh, as Eli has kind of described his process, how it starts very similar to elevating your own content and then editing it in a way that you could pass it off to somebody else so they could run your content, et cetera. Do you find yourself, Craig, going through that same similar process? Or uh, is this the project that kind of says, all right, here is the setting. Go ahead and write everything from step A to Z. Yeah, were you were you given a map or a layout of this so, dungeon? Uh, yeah, um, I was. Um, I was given a map. The map is about ninety nine percent done. There's wiggle room on it, but I was basically told, "Here's the name of it. Here's the idea that I've had for it up to this point. Here's a map. That's it. It should be about this much stuff to be in line with the rest of it." After I had a, a chat with the, um, the, the 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 project originator. Um, I found out that it's going to be pegged around probably around level 10. It's going to be for old school essentials, so it's going to be BX compatible. Um, and said around level 10, otherwise uh, go nuts. It's, it's interesting. I have a lot of wiggle room on it. It's a, it's a side dungeon. It's sort of a, an optional side area um, that's signaled to the party very early on in the campaign. They see it, but they can't approach it. And then later on, they eventually find a way either past the defenses or a secret way inside in that sort of... Um, metroidvania or like zelda sort of way so i want to have something really juicy really uh really exciting in there that is still not vital to the progression through the campaign story but is still well worth the the high level of effort that's gonna gonna be required to crack it open and, and get at its secrets i don't know what that is i have some ideas yeah. but i i don't know what that's gonna be <laughs> so how do you how do you peg that with those ideas then? I mean, you have good ideas, bad ideas, etc. but do you shoot for something that fits in the story or you kind of go off the walls and it's, you know, it's not integral. It's kind of an optional side quest, for example. And they, uh, you just, how, how, how do you integrate that? Do you look at it free form or try to connect it in some way? I don't have a categorical answer for that. I can talk about what I'm doing for this one. Um, so, they're, all, all ideas suck when you start out. All ideas are bad ideas, but bad ideas become good ideas by developing them, by working on them. Um, sometimes you hear people worry about like, oh, you know, I don't want to share my stuff. It's going to get stolen. Ideas are cheap. It's super easy to come up with stuff, but to work on it, to polish it to the point where it's it's really great stuff, that's where the effort is. I don't mind. I wouldn't mind sharing my initial design thoughts on stuff because if somebody wants to take that and then go to the effort of polishing it to the point where it's a really good thing, they did ninety nine percent of the work there. So, you know, Godspeed to them. Um, for this one, um, right. So, okay, the process that I'm doing for this is is really cleanly graduated. It's different from how I would normally write my own stuff. I would be a little looser because um, I feel comfortable ad-libbing. Um, I'm really comfortable doing just interpretations of what's happening on the fly and sort of passively referencing, like, I know how the system works, so this should probably be this. Like, I'm very comfortable with that. But the ultimate test of your material is, can someone else run it without ever having a single word spoken to them by you about, well, here's how it's supposed to go. It's like, no, no, no. That's got to be on the page. And if it's not explicit, it's got to be easily inferenced by the reader. So it's a very different process. Um, to force myself to be um, clean about it, to, to be professional about how I'm doing it, um, the last thing I want to do is be up at, you know, three in the morning and the night before it's due, like hammering away like all of my school papers were. Um, yeah. I, I was really explicit. And as much as a guideline for myself as it was for um, the person who's paying me to do the work, I said, okay, let's talk about um, what this process is going to be. Um, first, I said, hey, here's a bullet point list of what I understand you are asking for from me. Because if we're not on the same page with this, then that's a really important thing to tackle, first of all. Um, I had some clarifying questions I wanted answered about, okay, can you tell me more about uh, the, the, the antagonist who built this place? I don't know enough. Where can I find out more about that? That's obviously going to inform what the players will ultimately find in here. So there were some contextual questions I wanted answered. And then I said, given all this, let's talk about a timeline for the work. Um, and here's what I proposed specifically for this. Um, so this is going to be for a 20 to 30 room uh, dungeon. I said, let's do a first concept pass. 
I will spend about three or four days, do light notes on what I think each major area is going to be, and we're going to talk about what the overarching themes uh, are going to be for the area. Do I want this place to give off an idea of despair, or, or mystery, or horror, or um, mysticism? Like, what, what are the, what's the feeling that I want this place to evoke? And, and some general puzzle ideas, because there are supposed to be some puzzles here. Then we do a checking call. Say, is this cool? All right, let's move on to the next thing. So part two is the biggest one. Two weeks um, to complete a detailed pass on each one of the keyed room descriptions. I'm going to write out what they look like. There's some read-aloud text. Um, that was a specific request for some read-aloud text at the beginning of the rooms. Um, so that's got to be micro-writing. You know, it has to be short but evocative. Um, and a general pass on what I think will go in there. So there are going to be monsters, there's going to be traps, but I don't want to go to the trouble of going into the, the detail of writing up brand new monsters, because that's a fairly involved process, until we're on the same page of, yeah, that sounds like it would be appropriate here. We're going to have troll berserkers. Oh no, the troll berserkers don't live anywhere near here. Oh, okay, we got to sub something out for that, fine. Uh, second check-in call. Bears, yes, bears. that's it. It's bears every time. Um... <laughs> And, and that's that's basically how it works, you know. It's a it's an early pass, a check in, and then detail pass after that. So two weeks for the detail pass of the keyed room descriptions, then a check in, another week for detailed monster stats. Um, I want to make sure that that feels good. I want to do some play testing on my own. Play testing is absolutely key. You gotta roll the dice. You gotta test it out. Um, and as part of that week, I'm also going to do a pass on treasure. Because once I've got my monsters and my opposition, I want to make sure that the stuff that they're guarding is, you know, worthwhile, if it's supposed to be worthwhile, or if it's supposed to, you know, be, oh no, this is a thing you want to avoid, it's not worth the combat here, oh, this is a monster you want to get out of the way of. Um, and then some notes on, if it's mundane treasure, yeah, it's cool if I say that, oh, you know, tucked into the troll's nest is an emerald necklace. That's neat for the GM, and the player's going to be like, cool, it's a gem worth dollars. Let's put it in the sack and move on until we can sell it. But if I say, hey, this is actually an intaglio etching of the specific prints that you're looking for, suddenly it's not just treasure, it's lore. It's information that's directly useful, and it's worth 8,500 gold pieces. Suddenly the players have a reason to pay attention. Um, so general ideas on that, and then maybe some interesting magic items. That's the chance for me to write down some rough ideas on, hey, this is, you know, it's a wand of lightning, but, you know, it's some other extraneous detail. Um, another checking call, and then a final week for a pass on traps, and then a sort of contextual fiddling, a final continuity pass. If I said early on, like, oh yeah, the, the trolls burrowed in through the floor, we gotta alter the map to have a big hole in that floor, because it's gonna be really confusing if you're like, wait, where the hell did they come from? That You always notice things in adventures like that, where, oh, they clearly changed something, but they didn't go back and, and update mm -hmm. something later on. The, the devil's in the details. I may sound like an obsessive compulsive lunatic in what I'm describing here, but like this is genuinely how my brain works. Like not at all. Layer by layer. It's um to borrow a phrase from a friend, a, a lapidary process. Layer by layer we build it up, um, making sure that each previous one is solid before moving forward. Um so my personal brain worms exposed here, that's about five weeks rounded up. Um a final round of optional revisions. Because um, you always want to give them a chance to say, okay, let's tweak this and that. And and again, this was an email to the guy I'm working with, so he's was he was very patient with us. Um, and then because you got to get paid, uh, the specific details for payment, you know, not to be embarrassed about talking about that. Hey, I plan on doing this. I think it's going to take this long. This is my expected compensation, not just in money but also in credits. How will my name go into the the book? Where will it be mentioned? How will we do that? What is the time frame? Are we doing all up front? Are we doing half up front, half later? Is it all at the end? The details matter, and and as a creator, I believe everyone owes it to themselves to be you know the champion for their own cause. Um, so that's a lot of conversation from me about how I do that. Sorry. <laughs> was was that all an email from yeah. you sent to? This? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once once okay. we had so, once we that was not that, that wasn't the opening salvo. That was after we'd been talking for for quite a while. Um, that would be a hell of a of an opening line. Hello, pins you to the wall with a torrent of text. Now that was. Um... <laughs> did he come to you about this, or um, did you approach? The I idea approached first? him. So he ran. I mean, people who are paying close attention to Kickstarters right now may may figure out who this is. Um, but 
Uh, he ran into a problem where the original schedule got heavily disrupted. A bunch of uh, authors, a bunch of writers who had been signed up to be a part of the project, um, as he posted in, uh, in a Kickstarter update, evaporated. Uh, for perfectly justifiable reasons, the entire slate of authors just blew off into the wind. Um, and so I said, hey, maybe, maybe I can help you out. Here's who I am. Here's you know some of the stuff that I've done. If you want to chat, let's talk. So he was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. After, you know, vetting me and talking oh, to me for I like a while. Of course. What what did you send to this person to catch their interest? Do you or do you, or do you have a a set of things that you have prepared, or have you do you have credits I in other things? Don't. So I actually struggled with this because one of the first things that he very justifiably said was, "Oh, thanks for reaching out. Do you have a portfolio? Do you have examples of your work?" Um. Prior to doing this sort of thing, and again, this is also a very recent thing for me, um, I, I've been in video games. Um, and the, the bastard part of working in mobile games is that a lot of your stuff evaporates when that game gets shut down. I've done a lot of work on a lot of stuff that is, is mm -hmm. literally inaccessible at this point. Um, for people who care about video game archival stuff, it's, it's a real bone of contention. Um, you know, you can go and find a copy of, you know, E.T. for the Atari, despite it being garbage, but, like, who's keeping three versions ago of Clash of Clans? Like, is anybody archiving? I didn't work on Clash of Clans, to be clear. Um, but unless, you know, unless I'm archiving my own stuff, which, which has its own perils in terms of uh, whatever NDAs you sign with a video game company, but you are and are not allowed to keep, it's very difficult to show it off, aside from, like, an ancient trailer on YouTube or something. Um, what I, and it's, it, like I said, it's very reasonable for somebody to be like, okay, cool. I'd love to work with you. What have you done? Um, so I linked, God help me. I linked my LinkedIn, which, you know, feels oily, but here we are. Um, and I showed off my blog. The blog was actually the thing that I think was the most valuable. It was a demonstration of my writing. It was a demonstration of my, my game design. I, um, I wrote an alchemy system a while ago that I'm pretty proud of. And I linked that. Uh, I wrote a cyberpunk role-playing game that I got to sort of an alpha stage. It's playable. It's not complete, but I linked that. Um, and I actually showed the gentleman what I had prepped for my campaign for that week. I, uh, I showed him the stats for a monster I'd written up. I, said, I told him the context it was going to be done in. Um, so having a couple of uh, pieces you're proud of to say, hey, here's a sample of not everything I can do, but a good summary of the way that I think, I think is a really valuable thing if you want to be like, hey, I, I want to do more of this work. I want to, I want to go from writing my own stuff to, to helping out on larger or, or more professional products. So I think that's a huge, um, almost a huge difference between the written aspect and the design aspect. So I've got a, I've got a design degree. I've got a degree in graphic design, marketing, uh, et cetera, that I don't use unless it's for my own stuff. Um, <clears throat> so as a design standpoint, when somebody says, hey, I want to see a portfolio, that's pretty common. Like generally people who do design work have one by some degree, whereas I haven't done it for so long, I don't. I've actually come across somebody who had posted what they wanted to use for a... Um, cover to something they were writing and it was horrible it looked like an 80s 90s cyberpunk matrix style like johnny mnemonic i don't know man you're singing um, about, you're speaking my language here, but i guess it wasn't wasn't good for the thing right it, it was bad um looked way tech uh and they wanted to play a uh, they're going they're designing and developing a uh, a horror-based space game so these feelings didn't quite translate well. And I'm a huge proponent of not doing spec work uh, for your designs. Like people all the time are like, hey, will you design this for me? So I see what you're looking like. And then we can talk about oh, paying, I later. agree completely on um, this. Don't do spec work. Get paid. Don't do yeah, spec art, work. <laughs> artists. Artists fall for it all the time. And. I seen this and I looked at it. I was like, this is so bad. I actually designed him one and sent it to him. I was like, bro, what you got going on is not going to oh, work. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so you did spec and work. So I'm just going to, I'm going to give me a second to find my crowbar <laughs> to get my foot out of my mouth. Literally did. 
literally I did. Spec work. I did spec work. <laughs> I I know. I and that I hate it, and I did it, and I'm like, come on, man, you you're saying one thing and what you're showing us is the complete opposite. You got to go with this direction. And I wasn't sure if he was understanding what I was saying, because uh, when you try to verbalize visual aspects of things, it can be difficult. So I wanted to give him the visual. Um, And he liked it. He liked it enough to say, Hey, you know, why don't we follow this line a little farther? We'll pay you for work, et cetera. Um, And as those conversations progressed, it got into, I ended up, now getting to design the entire layout of the book, working with artists, et cetera, um, kind of create a control over what it's going to look like. And it's an interesting process because while you guys get to t- like the story, the aspect, I have to figure out how to put all of your words into a format that flows that is not necessarily standard. Um, and it, it brings up a question for, for designers because people want to design these books. They want to make them look good. When you are writing your text, do you think about that at all? Do you think about layout or how it's going to flow or what type of imagery needs to be used to match what you're saying? I I do a little bit um, in that I try to like either like underline or bold, like especially keywords. Like when I'm trying to describe a room, I'll make sure that I have several keywords that I want to hit on. Sometimes I write down a description, but sometimes I'll just write down like, you know, very vivid descriptors that when I can like, oh, they're going into this room, I can look down, I can see three, four bolded or underlined uh, points and like, oh, this is what's in the room. This is the important information that I need to impart to my players. Anything else that I add on top of that is nice, but this is what they need. So are you talking, Rob, when, when you when you ask about that, are you talking in terms of is the the layout design or the artist who will potentially illustrate this going to have an easy time of it? Or are you talking about the actual visual depiction of the text that's being put together in terms of bolding and information design? Both. Both, because both of them, in my opinion, are super important. Um, I know, for example, whenever I write something, and this is... A, a pitfall of mine because I don't write a lot of content by professional means, but any of my personal projects, I always get hung up on the flow of text in the layout. I need to make sure certain words and spacing are right. Like I don't want to break a very important descriptor between two columns. So I, I've got to constantly modify and go back and work that. Um, but again, I'm coming at it from a design aspect. So thinking from a writing aspect is difficult for me because I don't, I can't think like that. I got to get it on the page. Um, as primarily writers, is that something that you consider? Um, so one thing I, I'm aware of is the, is the difficulty of, of orphans and widows in your, in your flowing text. When you're trying to lay the text out on the page and you've got mm-hmm. um, you know, a single hanging word that would go over onto the next line or something like that. So I know that those are things you want to avoid because it ends up being screwy for the layout. Um, but that's not really something that I think I really pay any attention to while I'm writing the initial text. That's that strikes me. It's important. It's important to attend to. But my primary goal when I'm writing this kind of stuff is being as appropriately evocative as I can in that text material. And it's a separate task to figure out. Okay, how do I take the text that is as good as it can be, and then have that laid out later on? So. Um, I, I have no skill yeah. in actually laying out text. I'm aware of some of the stuff, but um, at least in the first pass, it doesn't come to... Now, obviously, that'll change if you're a one-man shop and you got to, like, all right, let's write it and then let's figure out how to lay it out. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. also aware that, you know, if you're working in InDesign or you're working in, a, you know, Affinity Publisher or something, like, getting the text from where it's been originally written, whether it's a plain text file or a markdown file or however you've put it... Um, some bold souls write their material directly in the layout program, which that's you. Okay, that's I uh, I have never done that. Perhaps mm-hmm. someday. Um, for 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 the rest of us <laughs> less ascended masters, um, I think I'm still working in 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 a text editor. Um, okay, I keep, keep doing it. <laughs> um, I, I you say you say brave soul, but it. It's 100% more complicated because now you're thinking about things that you really have 
no reason to think about mm. at the time. Like you said, step-by-step -step process, there are things that should come later. Um, having everything on the table at one time means you're thinking about everything on the table I, uh, at one time. I'm not great at multitasking. I think I'm a really great unitasker. Um, so I feel like that's just set myself mm -hmm. up for, uh, you know, tangling my legs in the wire and, and falling over with that. So good. I, I appreciate the confirmation here to keep, keep writing in a text file. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, do you, I call when I'm writing my stuff, I try to do a lot of color coding, especially when I'm like typing. Yeah, what does like, that so mean? what do you mean by that? All monsters, like all, all monsters. Like if there's an encounter with monsters, that text is in red. If there's something that involves a skill challenge, that text is green. Experience rewards, yellow, however you want to do your colors. But I always try to break it down into so that like if you if you look at a, a room, like let's say if you're looking at a keyed room, you go, oh, red, there's a monster encounter. Oh, green. Oh, there's there's or here's a specific call out for a skill um, and for me. And then I also have a color that I use for oh, come, come back here and to add do. something, Big or oh, this is missing do. something. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, fix this code so, monkey. So much of the stuff that we, that we do here is, is, is black, it's black and white printed. Um, the color printing stuff tends to be the real luxe stuff. Um, I think that uh, some people I've talked to use like highlighters. They go through and they say, all right, treasures in, treasures in neon yellow and monsters are in orange. So it sounds like what you're doing is very similar to that. Um, but I've been under the impression that, you know, the text that you're putting together, unless you're the one who's making the choice of, yo, what color is this? Then you have to figure out how to convey that information quickly in potentially another way. Um, but but what you're talking about there, that, that information delivery of, hey, if you see red, that's a monster. Be ready for that. Don't, don't be like, oh, yeah, we searched the room for 10 minutes. Okay, cool. Oh, a minotaur's been in here the entire time. Uh, let's talk about what that meant. Um, uh-huh. As just... Well, with your highlighter, that's that's something I will do yeah. to printed adventures that I own. Is I will go through it with a highlighter and add those it's details for myself. I'm so torn. If I have like a PDF of something and I'm printing out the couple of pages I'm going to need for that night, absolutely, go nuts, underline, highlight. That's fine. It, I I can't bring myself to mark up my actual books. Like I have some books where they're straight up like huge no, gutters and margins. Put your notes in here. I'm like, I. But you're not supposed to write in book. I can't do it. I. I... <laughs> Same. I, I think it's a sign of a of a well-loved, especially for like an RPG stuff, it's well-loved. I don't know how many times I've bought like a used RPG book and you pull it open and there's a sticky note in there, smacked in there that's like, this would be a great idea yeah. for an adventure using gods and this and this. And you're like, that is a or good you, adventure Or you find somebody's idea. old Thank character you, sheet person. in there and you're like, oh, another world, someone else's mind. Right. Oh, what did you do? <laughs> But a character sheet or a sticky note are added in. I mean, I am right there with Craig. I will not write in my book. And if I see text in the margin, I instantly cringe regardless of how good of an idea it is. <laughs> I look at it like, well, it, why'd you write it's it funny. in so, the so book? So when we were talking, I was talking with Di um, in, uh, you know, a couple of times ago. Um, Skirple's other book, Magical Industrial Revolution, has a bit, I believe, in one of the intro sections that says, like, we deliberately printed this with giant margins right in this book and if that appalls you by all means please buy a second copy so you know <laughs> i i might I definitely, buy a second copy yeah, yeah. I've, I've also heard people that do that for like collector's editions and stuff like that um yeah i i found a i got a player's handbook uh it was like a 3.5 player's handbook and the very front had like a this book is dedicated to this person and then it had like a whole character story of like how whoever like this person obviously had this great interaction at the table and then was like here have a player's oh, handbook i'm always going to remember your character and i got it and i was like oh that's, that's a really cool story that's awesome the, the physical the physical artifacts awesome. of the interaction that's so cool oh man <laughs> I, I agree it's cool, but I couldn't bring myself to do I have a hard time writing my name in books when I take them to places. Like it's here's here's your here's your so life hack. For I keep it as small Find as possible. Find a super nice pen. <laughs> the thing that made me feel like I was doing it was when I got a really glittery uh, metallic ink paint pen and I was like, Okay, well well I'm adding to the book now. That's that's fine. Now I can put my name in it. <laughs> 
my my wife owns a uh, a crafting business, so she's oh. got vinyl cutters and everything. I chose I chose a font that I really like for uh, for my name and shit. So uh, we print them out, cut them, and there's no background to it. It's just my name in a contrasting color and a neat oh, font. It feels like a sticker. Um, but when I look at it, I'm like, you know, what? that's cool enough. It can be in this. I so. I found like I got one of my uh, I got a used book and it had one of the like a, a something like that where it was like a panel and it had this interesting picture. I think it had like a unicorn in the moon and it was kind of just a cool a cool thing and it said this book is owned by and it was blank and I was like well, that's kind of cool. So I like wrote my name in it and I looked them Good up deal. and I bought a bunch of them and then tossed it in all my other books. I was like, That's I like cool. this. My friend's go-to so. to separate his books when we were That's all bringing cool. our copies of the player's handbook to the table was to stick googly eyes on the monsters on the front of the book. We never forgot whose book that was. I, I encourage this. This is also good. Googly eyes are cheap. You can put them everywhere. I, they, oh man. I, I, that's worse than writing in a I, book. I think I that it enhances it. the great, book. But... Look, okay, a dragon looms over you. Its eyes flash with magmatic fury. And they go in all kinds of directions, spinning every which way. You're not going to forget that. That's an enhancement to the God. session. You're right. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. Never mind when I get stuck in the corner and it's perfect. an lazy perfect. eye. Perfect. Unforgettable. So. Fantastic. So, uh, to bring it back a little bit as you guys were talking about color coding and uh, different words, etc. Um, again, I'm coming at this from a layout aspect because sometimes you hand off your work to somebody else so it gets put into the final product. Um, my biggest piece of advice for anybody listening uh, is when you are handing things off to somebody else or if you are going to process this further down the line into a layout later, keep it organized, whether it's one document or one chapter at a time, keep it organized. The lack of organization that I've been presented with uh, throughout my entire professional career in whatever field it's ever been in has always been plagued by slowdowns from disorganization and things that are just not kept in any logical, cohesive order where you have to constantly look at things and we're struggling putting them together. So keep it organized. That's my piece of advice. Documentation, documentation, documentation. There's, um, Eli, yeah. you might be able to speak to this. There's a programming yeah. principle of the, um, the single authoritative source. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, Essentially, each thing, if you have information, if something does something, there should be the one thing that does that thing. And if you need to go back and reference it, that's fine. Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like, no. He's looking at me, he's looking at me quizzically. I feel um, like I'm treading un uncharted waters here. Oh, no. It, it, it sounds like familiar. This, this, this is what I get for like <laughs> occasionally reading about like Donald Newth's stuff, but not actually being a, a programmer myself. It's like he's touched the deep lore. Oh God. Um, I, I, <laughs> I think the idea is um, a single authoritative source for the, like have one document. Don't have like, you know, document V2, document V2, final, 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 really like, no, just, that's one of the reasons why I like Google Docs so much, because you can have the single authoritative source for what you're working on, and you can have previous versions for that. There's, I actually started using GitHub for some of my projects, and I started uploading like versioned elements of the text files that I was using um, as if it was a programming project. Uh, also, it helped that, you know, if my house burns down, I won't lose all my work, so that's, that's nice too. Um, but it's not just for programming. Consider looking into it. It's super easy to set up. Um, it doesn't have to be code. It can be text. Um, it can be rich, essentially rich text if you're using Markdown or something like that. So now it sounds like you you said using one source, but then you're also using versioned texts. Does having different versions break that? Uh, no, that single the idea source? is so okay. So let's say that I'm writing. Um, let's say that I'm writing some game content and I'm writing um, a new character class. Um, I may I'll use GitHub as a way to um, preserve and back up the thing that I'm working on, but I'm not going to fork it, or I'm very unlikely to fork the uh, the file because I'm the only one working on it. If I if there were other people working on it, 
um, then you could still use it for that thing. It's like, hey, what version of this you know uh, turbo attack move are we using at fifth level? Oh, well, this version is this. This version is this. All right, let's you know diff, diff merge and move on. Let's let's figure out which version we're going to go and, and keep going. Um, but like this is this is me absorbing techniques from the programmers I have worked with, even though I am not a programmer. This is from the, you know the kind of stuff that I picked up back when I was working on video games, because um, we still had to commit to um, to the repo. We still had to commit to the repository. We just had to also learn here's how you don't break everything, and we still deleted the entire repo once a month. But hey, it's fine. We we were fine. It's okay. Don't even get me started on Dropbox. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely a thing that I use. Is there's all there's always you always keep one source at the front, but you should always keep backups of previous previous versions. Um, please, everyone, list anyone listening. You never please know keep when backups. It's a it's a pain in the ass. Yes. But please keep backups and keep so. them on different <laughs> keep them different places. Don't have them yes. all on one flash drive or one yes. one hard drive. Oh, I got a horror story here. Um, oh, back, no. back when I was in college, I had I had my laptop and I had a portable hard drive to go with it. So uh, I forgot what project I was doing my design for. Uh, I th I remember it being a big project, but I shit you not, dude. My computer died that week, as did my hard drive. So I lost absolutely everything from every class. And that's when I learned that there are only two types of people in this world, those who have yet oh. to lose all their stuff and those who have lost all their stuff. So keep your backups in multiple locations. And that's when I learned that when I do my specific work, I will have one master file where I will continue to work and add revisions to, sort of, like, again, design style. So if I'm working in Photoshop, I will compress everything into a folder, and then I can just hide that specific folder, work on a new design. So I have every revision in one document. And then I will export every revision <laughs> so I have a final product of said revision uh, so I can always go back and look at things if necessary. And then, yeah, one copy in the cloud, one on the local computer, one like on the hard drive somewhere. I like how our podcast is now an InfoSec podcast. That's, that's good. Cross crossover it, audiences here. Well, we're <laughs> looking at the – yeah, we're looking at the design aspect here for uh, – not design, but – yeah. yeah, the design process for writing something. How how would it suck to be eight hundred pages into your world it evaporates? And yeah, lose no, everything. You, it only needs to happen once, and oh. then you learn, and then you're like, okay. <laughs> yep. Then you just can go flip burgers. Oh, like I'm done oh, with this. Oh God. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I need a second here. How's how's your sessions been. going lately? Let's yep. move on to something less viscerally terrifying oh. of losing everything and giving up the dream. Um, how'd, you, how'd your game going? Yeah. Eli, you want to talk about yours first? Um, my last session was pretty awesome. Um, we ended in the middle of a combat. Uh, the, what was it? We, we've only had one session since we were last together. We ended up skipping one, but we, we had ended in the middle of a combat, and so we had uh, it started in the middle of it. It was absolutely crazy. Um, it was the entire session was playing out that entire fight. Um, it was awesome. We had a we had a moment where one player had to step away, but their character was still in the middle of combat. And as soon as they stepped away, a, a monster rolled what could have been a killing blow on their character. And we kind of had to have the moment of like, do we want to pause the session again and see if like, well, we don't want to kill this character while the players literally just so left. Um, well, like left, left uh, for the duration of the, the session the character or like had... stepped away to go like get a drink. Okay. Left okay. for the duration of the session. Um, well, we basically it was they had they had one dice roll essentially to um, if they if they passed they would continue into the fight and and keep going um, and if they failed then essentially they'd be taken out of the combat and that character was like the linchpin of basically they were trapped on this set of stairs and they were trying to flee down the bottom of the stairs and this character was holding a door kind of in the middle of the party. 
Um, and so if they went down, all these uh, all these monsters would have fled, like basically cut off, and it wouldn't have been a, t a total party wipe um, because everyone that was below the stairs would have been able to, to pull back. But everyone above, which was three or four player characters, um, probably would have would have died. So uh, what we did is we said, well, let's see if it matters. Let's roll that dice roll. If they make it, no harm, no foul. But if they fail, then we're going to pause the session right here. We're going to hide that dice roll. And then we're going to ask that character, do you want to burn any of your resources to try to stop this hit? And luckily, they they made that dice roll and they just kind of they powered on and uh, the party survived. Sounds like a moment um, of high drama, though. That's, that's a, failed, a, a linchpin moment. It is. Yeah, um, it was. It was crazy. It was a great session. Um, the party is incredibly hurt and now trapped, essentially, in the bottom of a dungeon. Nice. So, the next few sessions are going to be interesting. That's and my dangerous. favorite part. When you have no idea what the party's going to do to yeah. get out of this out of this bucket of syrup, you can't wait to find out what happens next. Fireball. Yeah, Fireball. that's a good start. <laughs> How about you, Rob? You got anything going on? Uh, yeah, I've got the uh, the most awesome problematic players in my youth library. How many game are you ever. up to now? It was one guy last time, one kid, right? Yeah, it was one kid, and we have uh, doubled that to two who have actually showed up. Him and his buddy, with three others who have sh uh, signed up but not shown up. So the fact that we've gone from one sign up to five and have a two people showing up, we're improving. But uh, so I say the awesome problematic players because they're trying to learn and they're still trying to also run their own game on their own time. So they're having this huge issue of separating what they want to do for their game, what they want to do uh, and how they want to do it versus how they're supposed to do things in the library game. I'm not that sure I'm I understand. Like they're so, arguing about what to do in their home game, but it's carrying over into yours. <laughs> yeah. So they're trying to tell me how the story is going. <laughs> and um, I'm like, guys, slow down. We'll get there. We don't need to do this yet in that order. We're going to have to start here and go through the process. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. And they calm down. I'm like, hey, can I? I've got this character. I'm like, that's the character for your other game. He's like, I know, but I like him. I'm like, he's a different level. He's just keep him in that game. Keep. We know that you're excited. You're learning. Let's figure out the whole thing first. And you guys can just go ham at home. Okay, okay. A few minutes later, hey, we're doing this. I'm like, that doesn't fit with anything we just talked how, about. Let's how old are bring these it kids? Back I'm, in. I'm curious. <laughs> uh, okay, like tanks. They're just excited. They're excited. So they are. They're absolutely excited. I love it. Uh, keeping them on, on par with what they want to do is hilarious because when the first, uh, when the first kid had shown up, uh, for session one, one of his first questions that he asked was, how do you keep a party from being totally distracted and kind of in line with how the story's rolling? And once his buddy shows up, we have the same exact issue. He's trying to, to curb at home. And I'm like, all right, well, now I got to kind of show him how this is done without pointing out that he's doing Were what he's complaining successful? about. Did you manage to get him so. pointed in the right direction? Yeah, yeah, and I expect it to have to repetitively go on every uh, session. Ten, actually, know, what but... worked? What what was the they technique are. that it's, you it's... had that sort of got them got them aligned? Yeah. Um, it it came down to asking them how they're doing things because the characters that they had designed, um, for example, one of them wanted to create a fighter, and the other one is a druid or ranger. I don't remember which one he decided to go with, but. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of magic casting ability mm -hmm. at this level, but what they want to do is really have full conversations with animals and have them scout and come back and relay information in which they found. And like the large eagle doesn't talk back, guys. Um, like it has no way to communicate in which it has seen anything. And they're like, "Oh, um, well, can we do this?" I'm like, "Not yet. Like you're not quite there. So let's bring it back and let's." figure out a different way to do this let's 
modify the animal a little bit so it has the ability so it's not an eagle anymore it's an intelligent talking creature um and we'll kind of make it more of a companion at this point just to give you a feel so the story flows the way you want it to um because they're 10 i want them to be really in control of the story so they're kind mm -hmm. of choosing their own adventure um without breaking the theme and idea of how a game's supposed to be run um my primary goal at this point is to not only get their feet wet but show them and teach them more of the mechanics mm -hmm. on how it's played so that way they can go do whatever they want as a story um once they get out of the library fair enough and one of these kids is, is one of these kids running the game for that they have outside of this yes that's awesome and it, it is it's really cool however i've got a feeling that his buddy has a million haywire ideas that uh the dm doesn't know how to kind of curb control or transform into a workable form that's for the, the story. secret you don't so control picking it. up on that <laughs> Yeah, you just let it go. And uh, I'm hoping that they pick up from that. So, Craig, you? How did, uh, I, how did your sessions go? I got to eat somebody as the spider at the heart of eight bears. I am so excited. I got to deploy I got to deploy the monster that I had very excitedly put together. The party descended into the depths of Broken Spire Keep. I was running a conversion in Dungeon Crawl Classics of uh, um, Night Below, the first book of Night Below. Um the oh, the spider at the heart of eight bears um who who my wife has decided is named brett mclovin by the way that's that's uh, less of a mouthful for her when i tell her about it she's like oh brett how's brett doing um so, uh, is not part of the original adventure but i needed a horrible monster the crowning achievement of a death priest necromancer uh he was supposed to be the encounter down there, but he died in an anonymous ambush that went very poorly for him. And so I didn't want them to roll up and find the place, you know, kind of empty. Nice. So I said, all right, sure. He's got a eight bears stitched together and it pukes corpses that grab you because they're zombies because they're only half eaten. I was very excited about this. Um, nice. Wait, you never told us about you. We had an entire episode about designing monsters, but you never told us the oh. creature you were designing. Oh, we oh that's right. Off track. We couldn't. It's literally. Focus. It's not just oh, no. a bear, but it's yeah, okay. Eight okay. Bears All right. So let, let me tell together. you about let me tell you about Brett McLovin, <laughs> the spider at the heart of eight bears. So. The name came out of being very tired and talking with some other friends about what would be scary, like a bear, but a bear that's spiders. Oh, like eight bears stitched together. Oh, I, like, I think I, one of us drunkenly, not drunkenly, just exhausted. Oh, yeah, the spider at the heart of eight bears. We all looked at each other like, that's terrifying. That's an absolutely frightening monster. So I, yeah. I, I was like, all right, let's put that together. So conceptually, it is a necromancer's crowning achievement. It is a Frankenstein of a bunch of grizzly bears that he exhaustively dragged out of the nearby deep woods and violated with necromancy and and thick leather thread to turn into this monstrous creature that he would uh feed sacrifices to um to to his dark god um and because i actually have run into a problem of a very scary monster in melee getting completely clowned on by somebody with a bow in the high ground and i've played a lot of elden ring lately so you know pro tip um i wanted to give him a ranged attack uh, spiders, webs, okay, cool. What if it's not webbing? What if, through muscular action, the thing has a reservoir of half-chewed corpses and it's got enough necromantic energy in it that it sort of hocks up a zombie hairball that sticks to you like a bucket full of taffy and holds you to the ground or the wall next to you while it charges over to you like a, a Mack truck made out of meat? That's the spider at the heart of eight bears. Mm. So, am Am I correct in picturing it? I'm picturing like the the body of a spider, but then each leg is like the front half so of I was, a bear. And I was trying to some... figure out, okay, how do I actually, how would one Lego together eight bear corpses? Here's the best that I came up with. So imagine like the, the two by two setup of like a, a, a horses in front of a carriage, right? So there's four of your bears. Um... The, and then take an, another two by two, flip it upside down, and have the backs stitched to each other. Um, but some of the heads have been removed from the front and put on the sides, you know, like t like turrets on the side of an old tank. And then 
two of the front-facing heads of these grizzly bears, instead of having two heads on the front and then both having lower jaws and upper mandibles, the lower jaws of both of them have been removed and roughly sort of shoved together so that one top half of a bear skull forms the bottom jaw of the other top half of the bear skull, but the minds are still there. They don't like it at all. So basically, it's just a horror show all the way down. You're, wel you're welcome. Enjoy that image. Um everything is a you bear. know i swear i i didn't mean that but i it must have been lurking at the back of my head what if it's all bears all the way down i don't i don't know um i killed a i killed a player character with it Had um to. yeah no they engaged with it and it was actually one of um the very small number of character deaths that we've had the the only warrior in the party very bravely took the forefront and went toe to toe with this thing and it went really badly immediately um like it wasn't the player's fault at all they were they had the armor and the the weapon and they they went for it and when they realized like oh my god this thing is absolutely horrifying we need to get the hell out of here right now the warrior like was the rear guard defense as every like all the squishy you know there was the elf and the wizard and the cleric you know they all got the hell out of there but they didn't their, their initiative count wasn't enough to get out along beside them, and the, the, the spider went again, and it crashed into them. Uh, there was a bunch of other little zombies that just sort of scattered aside, like a white picket fence going everywhere, um, and it got them. And uh, bears in Dungeon Crawl Classics have a bear hug ability. Um, if they hit you with both claws, then they, they pull you in, they, they crush you, it's extra damage, but... I redescribed that as instead of it just giving him a you know a friendly hug, it got pulled underneath the mass of this thing, and all the other limbs underneath the bear just rah, tear at it as he goes down. So poor bastard took like like thirty damage, and he's got like you know twenty one hit points. So it it was bad. But oh yeah, what's up? Sorry. Could I would send be us happy to send you the, the stat, stat block for this your horrible, horrible <laughs> thing. Brett McLovin will live on in someone else's nightmares now. I I oh, would yeah. like to post it. Oh, on yeah, let's our do blog it. If let's you're do okay it. with that. Um. So okay. So yeah, let's let's do that because there's a part two. As as you're as you're describing this, it's easier and easier not to make the human centipede joke. Okay. No, I we will. Okay. Going. Thank you. We we will veer away from this abyss. Um. <laughs> So the, the warrior goes down. The rest of the party pauses at the edge of the of the thing. And um, in, in DCC, uh, uh, arcane spellcasters can consume their own own physical stat, their lifeblood. They can spell burn to empower their spells in the moment at terrible personal cost. And the elf, I know there's a little bit of controversy as to whether or not elves can actually spell burn, but I let them do it. Uh, he basically drops his physical, like all three of the strength, his agility, his, his stamina, from like fairly good levels all down to like eight each um spells in dcc are a die roll you have to hit a certain number to cast them and the higher you go the better the spell is he maxes out the spell and ends up hurling this torrent of arcane fire and swords at this thing it's a magic missile cranked to you know 99 at this point so he blasts the absolute hell out of this horrible monster enervating himself completely in the process. The party, for the moment, is safe. The cleric rushes over. The warrior, at this point, has been turned to uh, gumbo, is probably a good summation of what's left of, of poor Marcus. Um, he's like, I want to try to save him. I'm like, dude, there's not enough to, to heal. And he's like, well, I want to I wanna beg my god for it. In DCC, clerics have a a chance to say, look, the spells you gave me, not enough. The power is not enough. I'm asking my god directly for help. And they get to make a check for it. And it, it chews up their ability to use any of their other divine gifts for pretty much the rest of the day. But they can try. And he does it. He gets the DC for it. And so, you know, Marcus, formerly a warrior, now something you scrape off your boot is restored from the land of the dead back to the living, but death will not let him go that easily. And he takes the vitality of Marcus on the way out of the Shadowlands, and all that's left keeping Marcus alive as he breathes suddenly in agony, but living agony, is suddenly the knowledge that it was the cleric's god that saved him, and it from now on will only be his faith in this god, whom he did not previously worship, that will keep him alive. The minute he fails in his orthodoxy to this new god, 
that's it. There's nothing. There's nothing else keeping it alive. I like that. Now, is is that a twist you that was, added? That's me. That's was, me on the fly. That... That's that's that was that was just ad libbing for that. Um, the player was stoked. It was a cool moment. We ended there. Um, the next session had them sort of scooting around, looking at the rest of it. They got to uh, a, a good stopping point, and and that campaign is now on sort of an, an interseason hiatus, where we're putting that down for a while. But it was a it was a hell of a climax to uh, to put a pin into it. Um, I'm super stoked. I, I wish all my sessions were that good. Yeah. And now all you. of you can enjoy the spider at the heart of eight bears. <laughs> yes. Yes, hopefully we'll have that posted by the time this episode goes up. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know that's kind of kind of those cool things that they get to hear us and they get to use some of the things that we present. It's kind of fun. So I want feedback, maybe, guys. Not go ahead, Aya. Maybe we can try to spin up because uh, that's for. I wrote that the stats um, for DCC uh, for Dungeon Crawl Classics, but. Those should actually work, or at least be easily interpretable, for pretty much anything D and D close to D and D or D and D related. Um, it's got hit dice. It's gonna have D twenty based attacks. Like you'll be able to figure it out. Oh, not yeah. a problem. Awesome. Cool. And with what we're looking at for time, uh, it's probably about a good time to wrap up. I know I got a busy morning, and everybody's schedules are always full. So, guys, thanks for checking out uh, side quests. And like I said, I want your guys' feedback, you listeners. Once you check out Craig's <laughs> spider monster, I the, uh, Brett Mc, Brett Barrington? Brett McLovin, aka the spider at the heart of oh. eight bears. Spider My at the heart of eight Brett. bears. Right, he's gonna attack our dreams tonight. We're gonna get mauled. Anyhow, uh, you'll be able to check that out at epictablegames.com and check us out next week for another episode of Side Quests. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Boom.